Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's something strange in the water at Lost River Lake. Something you can't see. Something you can't feel. Until it's too late. Started in a Texas pond. Barbara! Barbara, there's something in here! Well, it's still watching. It's the quickest way to know if they're down there or not. What are you doing? You trained a pond? Yes, we found You let them out! They were unleashed into America's waterways to churn quiet streams into rivers of living death. Keep your hand out of the water. No! Oh! the deadliest man-eaters of all. In schools of hundreds, they attack and devour anything that moves with razor-sharp teeth that can strip a man to the bone in less than a minute. They're here, and they're hungry. Piranha. Just when you thought again that it was safe to go back in the water again, it's Junk Food Cinema again! Brought to you by FilmSchoolRejects.com Dot com? Dot com! Dot fish sticks, dot fish on sticks. This is the weekly cult and exploitation film cast so good, it just has to be fattening. I am your host, Brian Salisbury, and I'm joined, as per usual, by my friend and co-host. He's a novelist, he's a screenwriter, he's a lieutenant of Megaforce, he's a good guy to have around in a, in a fish float, Mr. C. Robert Cargill. Hi. How's it going? It is... It is rather fishy today. It is. It's a it's a particularly fishy episode this week. And we're, we're back in the summer of 78. Yeah, we are. And we are covering the greatest Jaws knockoff of 1978, uh, which also happens to coincide with an actual Jaws knockoff. It is a marvelous one-two punch, and it's the reason we decided to put this episode back-to-back with last week's episode, but more on that in just a moment. By the way, did you know that you can find more of our episodes on Blog Talk Radio as well as on iTunes? And if you do go to iTunes, if you give us a rating and leave a review, we would very much appreciate it. It helps more people find the show, and, and I feel like... We don't want to be adrift on Lost River, so the more you can help us kind of cut through the tide of the internet, the better. 
You can also find us on Twitter at Junk Food Cinema. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash Junk Food Cinema. And if you really like the show. I mean really like the show. If you like the show more than Dick Miller likes being in Roger Corman Productions, you can go to patreon.com slash Junk Food Cinema. And for as little as a dollar an episode, you get access to content that no one else gets to hear. We just recorded a deep dish. Um, on one of the strangest movies we've ever talked about. Oh, boy. For those of you junkions who buy in at the $5 level, yes. we have a treat for you. Man. It is probably the most fun we've had doing an episode of this in a long time. It's a movie that I would describe as a shit cookie, and there is also a plot point about a shit cookie. So congratulations to everyone who subscribes at that level. Uh, for, for those of you, even at the $1 level, you still get access to the mailbags and the top fives and all the random weird shit that we do. Speaking of weird shit and speaking of business, in fact. Business. Hey, uh, actually, it, this is for longtime junkies. Uh, there, We did an episode late last year. Uh, on a uh, one of the modern junk food masters, Lorene Scafaria. And they just announced that she's making a new movie. Awesome. So Annapurna is producing a movie. J-Lo is starring in it. It's called Hustlers. It looks badass. And not enough people were excited about it. And I'm kind <laughs> of frustrated that the rest of the human race hasn't, you know, started celebrating in the streets because she is one of our great uh, working masters. And uh, so for those of you that listened to that episode and then, like so many of you who have written us, discovered her work, uh, or rediscovered it or put all the pieces together to realize that this was all the same talented woman. Um, this is really exciting. And we don't have to, it turns out we don't have to wait four years between Lorene Scafaria movies. So I am very excited for that. Yeah, that is fantastic. She is, as we mentioned, a modern junk food master, and we look forward to every new project she has. And it's about damn time. So let's definitely check out Hustlers. <laughs> And let's also check out this week's movie, which has been a favorite of ours for a very long time. So much so, we actually thought we'd already done it. <laughs> the only reason this wasn't in our original Summer of 78 lineup is because we were worried we had already done an episode. And I think the confusion comes from the fact that we did an episode about one of the greatest character actors of all time, patron saint of the show, Mr. Dick Miller. Mr. Dick Miller. But also, I don't know if you were there or not, but... Back in the just the one of us, uh, 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 one of us days. Yeah, um, I was invited to be part of a live commentary. Oh yes, 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 yes. Were you there for that as I well? I think I was. Yes. That's why we think we did this because, because we sat had, on a couch yeah. drinking beer, watching this movie, doing doing. That's why because we <laughs> honestly thought we'd done this. Yeah. So when we were going through the list of summer of seventy eight, we're like, I just blew past it each time because it's like, oh yeah, no, we already did Piranha. Um, and so we had not. And in fact, it's important that we've done it because now we have finally covered our holy trilogy of the three greatest Jaws knockoffs of all time. Let's go. Let's go. What, was no, the, what did we do first? The car. The car. Of Actually, course. first, way back in the day, we did Razabek. 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 Uh, one of the best, not only one of the three best Jaws knockoffs of all time, but one of the best great um uh unsung exploitation films and one of the great uh the greatest scripts written by uh a junk food master Everett uh, Deroche. uh Everett Deroche. um so it is uh so those the uh so raise a bit raise a bit raise a bit um the car mm -hmm. and piranha 
are the three great Jaws knockoffs, and they all do something different. The car gets the tone of Jaws right and just ter- makes a devil car the the creature instead of a shark. And Razorback gets the pissed off natureness of it right. And Piranha is unabashedly a fucking Jaws knockoff. So much so that we open up pretty much stealing the opening scene from Jaws that immediately cut from that scene into somebody playing Jaws the video game. Yeah. And then we have a Jaws joke later in the movie. Here, this movie, much like a lot of the Corman products that we've talked about and we love, is cobbled together, held together by spit and dreams um, in that this opening sequence, which, yes, much like Jaws, intimates that Drunk, horny people will never stop getting naked and getting into any body of water they can find. Was shot in L.A. Uh, at Griffith Park, and then Corman pulled the funding. <laughs> so they literally had just this shot, and Corman went, you know, I think we're spending too much money on this. So they <laughs> pulled funding, production stops. It takes almost three years to get produ- to get the amount of capital they needed to make this movie, and then they make Piranha, which... In the amount Piranha. of time, Piranha. in the amount of time it takes them to get this movie together, the Jaws knockoff ends up released the same summer as the Jaws sequel, and that is why, to me, it is the perfect double feature. Jaws two and Piranha are Piranha. Piranha are absolutely kindred spirits because they're both doing the exact same thing, trying to capitalize on Jaws. But unlike Jaws two. This movie's written by a fucking genius. This is very true. That you say this movie's held together by spit and shoe polish. It's held together by spit, shoe polish, and a script, the first produced script, if I'm not mistaken, of Mr. John Sales. John Sales, another legend of this podcast. This this would go on to be one of New World Pictures most successful endeavors. And actually, they would remake it like twice, wouldn't they? They, they, they did. They remade it in the nineties. They did with Soleil Moonfry and Mila Kunis. By the way, is in that in that I version? No, I didn't know Mila Kunis was in she that. She is indeed in that version. And it it was so successful, it actually allowed John Sales to go on and fund his passion projects. So a lot of the John Sales that we love and we've talked about might not have happened were it not for the success. Of Jaws. And, or yeah, of Piranha. Sorry. Of Piranha. And that led to him being asked by Corman to do it again and make a little movie called Alligator. Which is fan-fucking-tastic, you guys. Alligator. Have we not covered Alligator? Uh, we did an entire... I feel like we did a whole episode on John Sales. And we talked... Because we talked about Brother from Another Planet... We talked about... Yeah, we, ta- we didn't talk about Brother from Another Planet on uh, John Sales. No, we talked about it on the Joe Morton episode. Yeah, I don't know, Cargill. We've been doing this show too long. I literally don't know what movies we've like covered. In season five or something. <laughs> We're in sweeps week. Um, this yeah. is supposed to go on for like a year or two. Yeah, well, that's what you get for not putting an expiration date on this particular jug of milk. We're just going to keep on chugging it. That's right. Uh, yeah, John Sales, who's... Yes, you're right. The script is amazing. The, the production, on the other hand, was plagued by as many problems as Jaws. So. Well, well... First of all, let's talk about just how Texas a film this is. This film was made in a little place called Aquarina Springs, uh, which is uh, 
I want to say 40 miles south of us. In San Marcos. It's in San Marcos. Yeah. Uh, and San Marcos is along the I-35 corridor, about halfway between San Antonio and Austin. Yeah. So if you never stop in San Marcos, you've driven through it a number of times if you live in this part of the country. Sure, sure. Um, and Aquarina Springs was famous for uh, being a great swimming hole and for Ralph the Swimming Pig. Yes, this is true. Who appears in this movie with Dick Miller joking about how every fair in the world has a Ralph the Swimming Pig. And he's been sw- this one pig has apparently been around and swimming since he was a kid. Now, this is an important question about the uh, the film Piranha. Do we ever see the pig actually swim? Oh, no, because you had to go to Aquina Springs to actually see Ralph swim. <laughs> You don't, you don't, you don't give that away in the movie. Like, cause that's oh, the thing. Know. And that, I'm sure that's the thing Corman wanted to do. It's like, well, we're at Aquaria Springs. They have this famous swimming pig. This is perfect yeah. for our movie. We have the swimming pig out there. And like, you can't kill Ralph. Can't kill. You can't kill Ralph the swimming pig. Like, no, no, yeah. we're not doing it. I guarantee you that was something Corman wanted to do. Oh, kill yeah. Ralph the swimming pig. No, for sure. And, the the thing about where this movie is filmed and the the very Texas nature of it is much of what you're seeing on screen, this amazing, glorious swimming hole, would be appropriated to be the campus of Texas State University. I believe at the time it was called Southwestern Texas University. Yeah, it was it was called uh, Southwest Texas. Yeah, uh, and uh, in fact, here's a little Texas and junk food trivia for you. Ooh, I like this. Uh, oh, hold on. Old man Cargill, that old man Cargill. Which, by the way, this is just like regular junk food trivia with queso on it. So. That is right. So uh, there is a um, so Southwest Texas uh, was a thing for quite some time. The problem with Southwest Texas was, you know, it was forty miles south of uh, of the uh, University of Texas, which is a huge, wonderful, great university, and Southwest Texas had become a party school. And was well known as a party school. And it's where you went if you didn't, if you kind of wanted, you wanted to get a degree, but you really wanted to drink and get laid and slack a lot. They did not like their reputation. And so they lobbied for a long time to go ahead and change their name. In the meantime, there was a great little movie called uh, Necessary Roughness. Uh, which oh yes yes which is a weird college football movie if ever there was a weird college football movie and it was set at the fake university Texas State University <laughs> and they were the Texas State Fighting Armadillos so needless to say when Southwest Texas finally in the late nineties I think early aughts changed their name to Texas State University there was a push by a number of cinephiles. To make the uh, uh, the uh, the mascot the armadillo, and so that they could be the Texas State Fighting Armadillos, and that was shot down rather rapidly because nobody wanted any connection to necessary roughness, which is sad. But I will say that the Aquarina Springs amusement park didn't stop operating until 1996. Right. So I mean, this is a very recent kind of development here. Uh, but to kind of talk about the plot of Piranha. The plot of Piranha is that we have the opening killers of say well, two. Can, can, can we talk about the fact that it's in before we get to the plot of Piranha? Can we talk about the fact that it takes place at Aquaria Springs and all these people live on this really big mountain? There are no fucking mountains in this part of Texas. Yeah. We're on an 800 foot high plateau 
uh, we're about 800 feet above sea level here in Austin uh, on a on a limestone plateau. Um, and which is wonderful. It's great for, you know, in terms of geography and, and, and protection from a lot of problems. But so this movie takes place on a giant mountain at the beginning of this movie. You think it's in fucking Colorado. It yeah. looks like fucking Colorado. And he is on this. It It's, uh, uh, they've cloned Charlton Heston badly and put him on a mountain in Colorado. And then all of a sudden we notice he's wearing this giant Texas belt buckle that yeah. tells us that we're in Texas. And, uh, and then eventually we end up at Aquarina Springs. So, uh, inexplicably so. So while this takes place at a real place, there's no actual attention to any kind of real details whatsoever about what is going on in the region. I remember when I used to work for a bank, one of their branches was in San Marcos and every once in a while they'd be short staffed and they would send me to work at the branch in San Marcos. And I was so excited because the only thing I knew about San Marcos is that that's where they filmed Piranha. And I was stoked about it, even though where they filmed it, essentially a lot of it doesn't really exist anymore. And I think it's funny full circle that uh, my wife went to Texas State University. So, yeah, Piranha ends up being a bigger deal in my life than I ever thought it would be. The, the opening kill, these two backpackers, who again look like they're in Colorado, jump the fence and go to this pool to swim. The pool turns out to be at some research facility, and the two of them are devoured by something in the water. This jumps to a uh, a woman playing the Jaws arcade game, as we mentioned, who is a, uh, a skip tracer. And her job is just to find people who don't want to be found. And she is sent basically to look for the two people that disappear at the beginning of this movie. Now, here's where this movie is so very 70s. So we're sending this very talented woman to go find these people and we're told how not very good at this she is. And then, you know, s- silly, stupid things like, oh, I, I found my ticket. And th- throughout the course of this movie, she fucks up everything. They introduce her almost as an idiot savant in that she's really good at this job, but completely inept at literally everything else. And yeah, before we get, I want to talk about something you just mentioned, but before we get there, she ends up joining forces with a a local in the area who is the diet Charlton Heston who lives in a cabin on the mountain and like do your worst Charlton Heston impression. And that is what this guy looks and sounds like. Yeah. Like he is a drunk um, who has trouble with stairs. A Uh, planet where Bradford Dillman evolves from Charlton Heston. It's madness. That's exactly what he fucking sounds like. Yeah. Like he sounds like he, it sounds like they really wanted Charlton Heston and uh, and Roger Corman was too cheap for 1970s Charlton Heston. We want the personality of Charlton Heston and the look of the brawny paper towel man, Bradford Dillman. There. His <laughs> name is fucking Bradford Dillman. That's, that's weird in and of itself. So the two of them find their way to this research facility, and this begins... If I may borrow a joke from Mystery Science Theater, uh, which I believe was in an episode called Time Chasers, where we're introduced to this super nerdy white guy, time traveler, and the bots say, movie, this is not our hero, correct? Movie, I will not accept this as our hero. Movie, you have some explaining to do. The heroes, quote unquote, of this movie are the worst fucking people you will ever meet 
in a movie of this type. Oh, yes. Holy shit. Fuck both of the leads of this movie. And I'm sorry to say that because, weirdly, they died within a few months of each other But in, in the real world. But the, the characters suck. The characters are awful people who create. I need to point this out. Create the entire problem in this movie and then spend the rest of the movie waving their fucking fingers in everyone else's faces and saying, how could you? Yeah. It is piranha colon gaslighting. Like, it is the great, like, they fucking cause the problem. They, re- they drain the pool and drain all of the piranha out, not knowing what they're doing. They, because they break in and do it. They fucking break into this facility and just go, what's this? A switch? Better throw it. And uh, Kevin McCarthy shows up and is like, what the fuck are you doing? And they proceed to beat Kevin McCarthy, tie him up, and ta- like hold him hostage on this trip down the river where the whole time they're like, how could you do this? This you perverted science and you cause people are going to die. And it's like. Um, motherfucker one and motherfucker two, you're the reason that these genetically altered piranha are now swimming in this river and eating people. Uh, do not leave that on my doorstep. Thank you very much. Yeah. The they, fuck? They cause, they cause this entire movie. Our protagonists are actually our antagonists. And they spend, the rest of the movie kind of spends time making us not like everyone else. Like everyone else is the bad guy. By proximity, like, well, everybody else is worse, so these are our protagonists. But everyone else is worse because the reason that everyone else is worse, according to the script, is that they are forcing people onto the water. Now, bear in mind, were it not for the genetically altered piranha released by our, quote, heroes, the fact that these people are in the water would have had no effect on anyone. It wouldn't have been a big deal at all. So... It's crazy that the other people are painted as bad guys because they keep forcing people into where the piranha are with no knowledge whatsoever that these piranha exist, nor any reasonable like reason to believe that there should be piranha in this freshwater river. Like it is insane how much the entire fault of this movie falls on the shoulders of these two assholes. Yeah. Who we are then just traveling down river with, like it's a fucking Tom Sawyer book. Like, what the hell is going on? Um, now I I cannot get past this, so I need to spend a little. Have you watched Bradford Dillman go downstairs? Have you have you have you taken this in, or or does it? I will tell you, I watched the blooper reel on the. I believe this was, this DVD was released in 2010. I watched the blooper reel. Took a few times for Bradford Dillman to get down those stairs. <laughs> he has some problems with stairs. Now, I don't know if it was method acting. Look, 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 method acting. If he was just drunk or if he was playing drunk. Do you think he was going full shider, full Jaws 2 shider and just Dude, drinking on set? I think so. Because <laughs> like, you've watched it, right? You see this oh, yeah. guy go downstairs and like he, his arms are flailing and he's got the duck walk going. Like he is having the toughest fucking time with, and it, they don't make a meal out of it. Like it's not a it's not a character bit. It's a hey, by the way, we're trying to pad out the movie a bit. So here's 30 seconds of them walking downstairs. Yeah. And it just so happens that if you're watching, you're like, the fuck is wrong with that guy? It's they didn't make a meal out of it because it's not a child in an inner tube, which is what a lot of the meals in this movie are. Also, uh, also an interesting point about his character is he's a drunk, clearly. 
because when we meet him, he's got the local guy who brings him supplies from town uh, and brings him whiskey, scotch, vodka, and tequila. Because for some reason, this guy's a drunk that likes slightly different flavors throughout the week. <laughs> um, he's not the type of drunk that is every other drunk in the world that picks his one type of liquor and then does that and maybe changes it up a bit. Like, oh, hey, I'll get a different whiskey this week or something like that. No, he... He goes to the liquor buffet. He goes to the liquor buffet. And if you've ever drank heavily... I don't know why you looked at me when you said and that. I mean heavily, Brian. Um, Just saying. You, I mean, the thing that doesn't get mentioned enough in our society is that drinking is a skill. Not a talent. (laughs) Not in society, but mentioned several times on this show. Drinking is a skill. It is a skill, not a talent. You are people are like, no, I'm born with a constitution. No, 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 no. We are born with biologies, and then we put shit into that biology, and it interacts with our biology. Like when you drink a certain type of alcohol, your body processes it differently than other people do. You get a different kind of buzz off it. You get a different physical reaction. You get a different hangover. Um, And If you drink enough, you learn how to drink the proper things that tend not to give you a hangover and give you just the right kind of buzz. You could not get more different than whiskeys, tequilas, (laughs) and vodkas. So the idea that this guy's a drunk but is, like, just can't figure out what type of drunk he wants to be uh, is fucking weird. Yeah, I mean, it's for really example, a weird detail that is like, oh, you think you know about drinking, young college boy John Sales, because you've gone to parties, and no, that's not how drinking works. As an example, I cannot get within 300 yards of a bottle of tequila. Fuck that forever. I can't do it. In fact, it got there was a point where it was so bad that if I saw people drinking margaritas in a movie. I would choke up a little bit, just like, oh, oh, that, that taste is in my mouth again. I can't deal with this. So, yeah, you learn what to stay away from, and it's never it's never a rainbow of bottles. Like, yeah. that's never how drinking works if you're an actual drinker. And so I found that weird because the detail is that he's clearly a drunk, but he's a drunk that doesn't have his drinking together. Like, that's... We That's may have little... just we may have just solved the mystery of why you can't go downstairs, Cargill. We may have just put the pieces together. Oh no, no, I think that might be what it is, but I don't know if it was a performance choice or if he's actually fucking drunk. But that man cannot handle fucking stairs. I'm gonna go with Roy Scheider method acting Jaws two area. Situation. Which, by the way, we have no idea if Roy Scheider was actually drinking on set. We just find that funny. We have no idea if Joel Silver did mountains of cocaine that has not stopped us from making that joke. I'm just. Do we point not that. know that though? We, it is uh, apocryphal, right? That's that's what it is. Sure. Apocryphal. We'll see. So they're heading down the river with their captive. We need to talk about this because much like the other Corman movies that we know and love. This movie has a great cast. Piranha oh, yeah. has a really stacked Piranha. Fucking, Piranha has a really stacked fucking cast. Um, By the way, for those that have not seen Piranha, um, there are several members of the cast who insist on pronouncing it Piranha. It reminds me of the kids from The Emperor's New Groove who, who like, I'm a Piranha. I live in the Amazon. Na, 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 na. 
Like that's it's that, but it's not just children saying that in this movie. Yeah, no, there are some. We already mentioned patron saint of the show. Yes, uh, is in this movie in a size in a somewhat sizable role. Dick Miller playing essentially the mayor of Amity Island, who refuses to acknowledge the fact that there is a threat, and then people die. It's the same fucking role, but he does it in the best of Dick Miller ways. That is just like. Walking that line between being a total scumbag and a guy you just want to hang out with, like he played, he played that kind of role better than anyone I've ever seen. Like, well, but that's what's so great about Dick Miller. Like, Dick Miller plays that kind of shyster salesman that you, everybody, you, everybody's met at least once. True story. You know, where he's got just enough charisma that you understand why he's successful, but you can tell pretty much right away that he's a fucking shyster. Sure, and that's what's great about it. And then we've got. Um, then we've got a small role played by legend, Paul Bertel. Yeah, pa- Paul Bertel, who is a member of the school, of, like a... a- uh, he's not a, just a member of the School of Corman. He's actually... He, Professor Emeritus of yeah, the School yeah, of Corman. He's, yeah, yeah, he, he gained his tenure at the school <laughs> and stuck around to direct films and star in films and just, you know, he would just show up. He was just a guy that loved fucking making movies yeah. and made some crazy shit on his own. A, a, a junk food favorite directed a little film called Death Race 2000. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, appeared in a number of Corman films. Also, I think directed Eating Raul. I believe that is correct. Um, you know, a classic cult film that was defined cult films for the early 80s. Uh, he was a cool, hip fucking dude making crazy fucking shit because he wanted to. I always forget he has a small role in Usual Suspects. Oh, yeah. As a smuggler. Like, I, that always kind of blows my mind. Paul Bertel is, it was, it was an incredibly talented guy. And here he's playing the, uh, you know, the head counselor yeah. at a camp that apparently only has. Um, two camp counselors aside from him. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a small camp. It's it's a small camp filled with kids and only two counselors with speaking roles <laughs> and no other apparently counselors. Like this is and and this I find this astounding. This is a Roger Corman film where you have the perfect excuse for half naked co-eds and Corman doesn't spring for that. Yeah, there's not a lot of nudity in this movie. In fact, there's the one bit at the opening, which is the Jaws knockoff. Yeah. There's a and then the rest of the movie is pretty fucking PG. There is a story about a waitress um, from the Holiday Inn where they they housed. It's funny. I, I watched another special feature on the on the DVD was home movies that the producer had taken, and they show the the sign from the Holiday Inn in 1978 that said, "You know, welcome Piranha." So it was like literally where everyone was housed, and there was a waitress from the Holiday Inn. Um, that stood in for Heather uh, Heather Menzies for a topless scene because she didn't think her husband would like it. So there are so few boobs in this movie that they could actually get away with, oh, you don't want to do the, the, the one or two nude scenes? We'll get the waitress from the Holiday Inn to do it. Yeah, no, and it's, a, it's a, oh, that's right, because there is that shot, because it's the quick shot where she's like, are you gay? Yeah. And then she goes to flash it, and it's one of those cuts where it's obviously a stand-in. Yes. Where it's like, boop, stand-in boobs. Yeah. And then they cut back <laughs> to the actual shot. That sounded like a jingle. Boop, stand-in boobs. <laughs> I, I, I think we should add it here. Uh, I, I, I mean... <laughs> Really? I mean, that's what we do with this show, Tango. Cash. Been a while since that's happened. Yes, it has. Boobs, stand in boobs. It's almost the Red Robin, but not quite. Jurgen, pause now. (laughs) 
Jurgen Posnell for Stand In Boobs. But what's funny is in it's the- like that it's exactly like the terrible shot that we would see two years later in um, uh, Humanoids from the Deep. Yes, where where the the Corbin took the film away from its director and then added nude scenes to it. And that movie uh, got real gross real fast. That movie is real. I programmed that for a movie weekend last year. We had a uh, uh, a weekend where we got together and rented a house and watched. I programmed an entire weekend of movies, and I showed that in the way that it. I knew it was never going to be presented, but in the way that it should be, back to back with The Shape of Water, oh. and uh, <laughs> because you know uh, you might be the worst person. I know. <laughs> I'm just realizing this, and I'm not. I'm not saying definitively. You're in the running, I guess, is what I'm getting at. That is. I, I, am I wrong? Fish, Fishman sex movies. No, Walter, back. you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. <laughs> well, you know that's how I roll. <laughs> but so yeah, so we watched that, and and I remember really liking that movie. I've seen that movie on 35, and watching it again in this era was like, you know, it was always a movie that had issues. Yeah. It's not a movie that's aging particularly well. It's like Creature from the Black Lagoon if Creature from the Black Lagoon was super rapey. Yeah. And it's so comical in how it's done, but like you can clearly see which scenes Corman shot later and inserted into the director's film because the female director wanted to make a film about identity and about, you know, uh, about the terror of rape. Uh, and ecological destruction, and Corman wanted to put boobs in it. Um, and because that's how Roger Corman rolled. If Piranha, and we'll get to this, but if Piranha is any indication, protecting the environment is not necessarily something that Corman is interested in. Um, well, again, we'll get there, but just keep in mind the two heroes of this movie are shitbags. But this is, in fact, the. The Texas deep fried jaws, and I think that's what I love so much about it is it the the team that they put together to make this movie, and they they head down to to San Marcos. They're they're in Aquarina Springs. Everybody and their fucking cousin is drinking Lone Star, wearing Lone Star apparel, carrying around Lone Star coolers. Oh, yeah. Brought to you, Piranha, brought to you by Lone Star. Piranha, brought to you by Lone Star, and boop, stand-in boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna make it a thing. Boop. It's a thing now. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I think calling it the deep-fried Jaws is probably... You know, chicken chicken fried jaws uh, mm. might be the best way. Mm. Chicken fried jaws. I would eat that if Jim's had it on the menu. I certainly would, especially with jalapeno gravy. Like like it's halibut, but it's it's chicken fried with jalapeno gravy. I eat. I would eat that in a heartbeat. Would, which is what my heart would, you, would cease to do. Would you eat it just for the halibut? <sighs> and we were doing so well. <laughs> You know what I'm mad about? I'll tell you. I'll be real honest. <laughs> is that that felt like a setup. Wasn't intended to be a setup. And secondly, I should have come up with that on my own. You really should have. But here we are. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it is. it really is the chicken fried jaws. And, um, and it kind of nails everything right. Like we've been talking. We've been kind of knocking this film around. Because there's some issues with this film. Oh, of course. But we love the shit out of it. And the reason we love the shit out of it is, one... It's entertaining as fuck. Yes. Like, it's always entertaining, even even when it's 
and and I don't know I don't know if it, this is 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 the early genius of sales subverting um, the tropes or if he's bumbling into them. I can't figure it out. Uh, if I ever get to sit down with him and pick his brain about this movie, I definitely want to. After I spend an hour gushing about uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Um, and I'll be waiting patiently to talk about Alligator. So. Yeah. and uh, But uh, it is, I want to know if he knew what he was doing. If he, if he sat down and said, you know what's different about this? This is a movie about the people who trigger the problem. This is about the bad guys, yeah. but the other people are just worse. Yeah. Like these people mean well and they fuck up. Everyone else along the way is wrong and evil. And they are. You've got the military guy who, by the way, gets his balls busted in the most non sequitur, beautiful way. Oh, I love that moment. Where it's like, oh, general. Actually, it's colonel. Still? Oh, still? <laughs> wow. It's like, holy fuck. Jesus. Wow. Then you've got, then you've got super fucking crazy uh, scientist girl. Now, that's the thing. We only went halfway through this cast. Uh, so we need to go back for just a second and talk yeah. about the rest of this cast. We mentioned Kevin McCarthy. Who is a fucking legend? Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We we mentioned UHF on the deep dish. He's the bad guy from UHF. He's he's a guy that you've seen in a hundred movies because he's a legend. And he's really interesting and great here and then does something inexplicable. In the service of sacrifice that didn't need to happen. Yes. <laughs> An unnecessary sacrifice. If there, there are two people, I actually know there are three people in this movie that are good and pure, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. And as characters, they would be the heroes in any other movie. Yeah. And that is, um, uh, that is him, Kevin Kim McCarthy, Kim. the scientist, yep. the, the mad scientist is actually the good dude. Uh, <laughs> then there is um, uh, uh, Minnie Heston, uh, yeah. the little girl Minnie Heston. Sure, sure. And then her camp counselor. Like, those are the only three pure souls in this movie. Everyone else in this movie is nuts or awful. Now, speaking of nuts, another legend in this film is Keenan Wynn. Keenan Wynn is one of those actors who, even as I'm saying his name, you might not immediately think of his face. But this is a guy who has worked with all of the most legendary filmmakers of all time. He is, I mean, the guy, if the guy shouldn't have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, he should be a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He is a fucking institution. And how, I mean, Dr. Strangelove, uh, for just, for example, fucking Dr. Strangelove, he's, he's been in a shit ton of movies that you would recognize. Uh, and he is in this movie playing Another drunk, but an old man who lives kind of up the up the river from Minnie Heston, or I'm uh, not Minnie Heston, uh, Bobo Heston, and he has a death in this movie where he gets his legs eaten off and then drags himself back to shore and dies there. By the way, probably one of the most oh thank God deaths you have ever seen in a movie because you spend that entire scene where he's about to die going. Oh, not the dog. Not the dog. No, 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 not the dog. No, Corman. No, you are not allowed to feed a dog to the piranhas. You already set that up. We have Chekhov's dog uh, uh, skeleton at the bottom of the drained pool. No, no, no. And then it's like, 
Oh, thank God, it's just a kindly old man. Well, they set it up twice, because not only is it the dog skeleton, Keenan Wynn is telling a story about a, a dog that he had that died, which turns out to be a joke, but it's like a really gruesome death, and you're like, okay, now you've referenced a dog death, and you've shown a dog skeleton, if this dog dies, I'm going to be pissed, and sure enough, they don't kill the dog, they just had Keenan Wynn's legs get eaten off, so, you know, sidestep that landmine, which... Ironically, is what it looks like happened to Keenan Wynn because his legs are fucking obliterated. And that's where this movie really, really comes into its own because this movie does some pretty delightfully fucked up things with these deaths and the blood in this movie that make it a truly, at points, terrifying, also campy, fun um, horror movie. Mm -hmm. Like, Seeing those bones, exposed bones with with little bits of flesh still on it, on his feet, really fucking, oh. And the idea that he bled out crawling up shore yeah. is a horrifying, terrifying idea. Um, and this movie's got a couple more deaths like that teed up. Yeah, it, and it actually does things... It sets up deaths and it shows... It, it, it insinuates death... There's a shot later in the movie where or a sequence later in the movie where these kids are a whole huge group of kids are being attacked and it seems really horrible. Like they're really just going to murder all these kids. That seems kind of mean spirited, but the way it's edited, you don't actually see, but maybe two of those kids die, but the rest, some of them do. Some of them do, but you, they take great pains to show you the rest of them getting out of the water. And then there becomes a heroism in sacrifices by people like Paul Bartel and one of the counselors and Minnie Heston, the little girl who's the, the, the daughter of Bobo Heston. Like they they show enough to set the stakes and also establish heroics without it ever seeming mean spirited, which I think is kind of fucking brilliant it is well but then that is that is to the credit of a person i can't believe we've gotten this far oh no there's so many people we haven't even mentioned who fucking directed this well movie that's yet. what i'm about to say yeah. that is because this movie was directed by joe dante we've gotten this far with we've mentioned fucking sales like a billion d times because we kind of worship at the altar of early sales true story um uh and uh you might say we're salesmen yes and you're going to experience the death of a salesman. Oh, shit! What? Wow, I, I served it up and you spiked it right back. I, I like really this. I did. Uh, but I like yeah. this new Cargill that embraces puns. I don't know that I'm I... sitting over here like Palpatine, like, good. Give it to your hands. Uh, but yeah, it's Joe Dante is directing this. And Joe Dante... Is now this is the thing we love Joe Dante. Of course we do. Joe Dante's a master. He is a modern master. Um, but we're bigger fans of sales than we are of Dante. <laughs> but what Dante does and what Dante is expert at is making a certain type of film that is that mixes elements of horror with elements of adventure together with something that you can enjoy and never feels mean and almost feels wholesome like gremlins, like small soldiers. Oh, by the way, take a big fucking drink. I'm surprised we have not covered small soldiers. I yet. love small. Who soldiers. doesn't love small soldiers? Small soldiers is amazing. Um, and, uh, and it is uh, one of Dante's best films by far. 
but yeah, it's that tone. And what you're talking about here, how this movie does this, how this movie manages to be terrifying and gruesome and rough without being mean-spirited mm-hmm. is all to credit Dante. Yeah. This and, is true. And uh and Dante Dante is one of those guys we really identify with cuz Dante is one of those guys who was a film nerd and wanted to be a filmmaker and went out to Hollywood and showed up at Corman's place and wanted to make movies for Corman and do whatever he could, carry cable, whatever. And he was part of this small cult that formed in the early 70s of people who started showing up to work on Corman films because of Corman's reputation and Corman didn't know how to deal with it. And Corman was just like, wait, there's all these kids who want to show up and work for me for peanuts um, because they love all my movies. And these are movies that I've always felt were disposable. And, and, and Corman was a guy that just cranked them out and did them to make money and made cheap movies that always fucking profited. And, um, I think he famously made only one movie that hadn't fully profited that just recently finally profited. So all of his movies are officially (laughs) profitable now. Um, and uh, and Dante was the leader of that pack. And Dante, uh, Corman let Dante make some fucking movies. Now, do you remember what Joe Dante's Peanuts job for Corman was prior to getting to direct? Because he, he had a very specific job for Corman. He was the guy who cut Corman's trailers. Yeah. So his job was to basically... So take- Joe Dante's trailers from hell, yeah. for those of you that are familiar with it, all based on the fact that that's how he got his start. He has a passion for trailers. This is true. And he had only worked on directing one movie prior to this that was kind of a mess called Hollywood Boulevard that technically he's co-credited on with Alan Arkush, I believe. Uh, Don't take a drink, junkies. We no. are, that's, I've, I've tried twice in my life to get through that movie, and that movie's... That movie's just gross. So Piranha, effectively, is the first movie where Joe, Ton- Joe Dante's in the driver's seat as director the whole time. It's his first movie, yeah. for all intents and purposes. And so he goes down to Texas, and I think they said the budget for this movie was like $600,000. And they shot it, $660,000, they shot it in 30 days. And he is just, you know, prior to getting, sh- uh, or after getting shut down and having to basically beg Corman to get the movie started again. Um, he creates what is, again, one of New World's most profitable films at the time. So huge success. It led to a lot of different gigs. One of the things I find so interesting, though, um, are the two guys who worked on the effects of this movie as fucking babies. 17-year-old kids working on this movie. One of them uh, was recommended by Rick Baker, who turned down the job of doing the effects on this movie. But he said, you know, I know this kid does a lot of great work. His name is Rob Bottin. 17-year-old Rob Bottin. And as as if that wasn't enough, Rob Bottin works side by side with Phil fucking Tippett. Mm -hmm. Rob Bottin and Phil Tippett are working on this movie together when Rob Bottin is literally 17 years old. Making the the blood effects on this movie. And making fish. Just room after room of rubber fish. By the way... There's something that we walk right past. This is something I forget about every time I watch this movie. Um, and nobody ever talks about it. But there are two shots in this movie where there is this air-breathing 
what the fuck is this stop thing? motion fish which i guarantee you phil tippett did because that was phil tippett's oh yeah master master uh work in the, in that era it's him it's him flexing his muscles for ed 209 like let me really do some stop motion shit right now yeah and so there's this weird fucking experimental fish creature like wandering around the lab that's never mentioned again let me tell you why i didn't mention it because until you did i still to this day wasn't sure i actually saw it because no one else in this movie seems to, and it is never brought up again. It's never brought up again. Like these, like it's like, wait, we're scared of these piranha. What? What's up with the little weird piranha there? Like, there's also that other weird creature that, at least there, it's like, oh well, this is a cheap puppet, and it's clearly like a freak, you know, like a kill me. Yeah. But this thing is not. This is like, holy shit! Is is this Kevin McCarthy's pet? It looks like something wandered off the chess table from Star Wars. Like, it's like, what the fuck? Is, why is no one talking about that thing? What is it? Why is it there? And yeah, I literally didn't bring it up because I thought maybe somebody had slipped me some whiskey, some vodka, some gin, and some tequila at the same time. And I was hallucinating and not able to get downstairs because, yeah, it's creepy and no one seems to know it exists at all. So that's, yeah, it's it's a weird moment in this film. But, I mean, Joe Dante directing, John Sayles writing, Rob Bottin and Phil Tippett working on the effects as babies. Like, it's insane. Like, and, and then you have this crazy cast of character actors. And one we haven't even mentioned, by the way, is a fucking horror legend, Barbara Steele. Yeah. Who is just all over the place in this movie. Yeah. She's um, really all over the place in this movie. The one note I imagine that Joe Dante must have been giving her, uh, Barbara, bigger eyes. Barbara, bigger eyes. Bigger eyes. Can, can we get a hair flip to make a to make this, uh, to punctuate this line right here, this devastatingly brutal line? Can you give a little hair flip to make it look like you're crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who trusts this woman is an idiot. Also, again... Pure sales, fucking Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, like yeah, had a re- like yeah, and she's like yeah, she was having a relationship with Kevin. Like these two mad scientists are fucking while they're breeding and the, fucking piranhas. The best part yeah. of that, the best part of that is that nobody asked, nobody had to know that she fucking volunteers that information because the uh, the blonde shitbag hero is like, oh, you you knew him, you were friends. She could have just said yes and moved on, and yet she says, I'd like to think we were a great deal more than that. And it's like, you didn't have to. She's, You know what she comes across as in that scene? You know that skit from Saturday Night Live, The Lovers? Oh, my God. (laughs) Where Will Ferrell is sitting in a hot tub with uh, uh, with Rachel Dretch. Come into the hot tub. Come into the hot tub. (laughs) We are, we're we're more than that, We're, we're lovers. We were lovers, and they were lovers first, and then we became lovers. Yeah, and that's what Jesus what, that's, Christ. That's who Barbara Steele is <laughs> oh, in this movie. Horrifying. She's like she is this crazy old seventies swinger who's fucking this you know, the crazy scientist up in the piranha pool. Piranha pool. <laughs> the piranha pool. That is which is my favorite Marvel character. I yeah, she is she's bug nuts, and she's visibly bug nuts, and people just keep listening to her. People just keep following her instructions, and she says things like, the school of fish genetics, or the the world of fish genetics is a very small place, and it's just like, 
What does that mean? What's does, is everybody fucking everybody in fish genetics? Is that what's happening? I don't know. It could be. I'm not an ichthyologist. I don't know for sure how much fucking goes on at ichthyologist conventions. Those people may be swimming upstream just to fuck. I don't know. This is science that I never studied. But I'll tell you what I do love about this movie is the sound of the piranhas, which apparently was a dentist drill put in the water and then they just put a microphone underwater. Which, because it's just like a lot of like general whirring sound, but there's definitely dolphin in there. I don't, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's some, there's some dolphin like uh, clicking going on in this sound too. It, it is not dolphin safe piranha. That's all I'm saying. Did, right. did you, did you hear this? Am I the only one that hears dolphins? I yes, yes, I'm not hearing <laughs> the dolphins. Fair enough. So as we move through the plot, we we get to the point where. Uh, the the piranha have moved down to uh, this this kids camp, and what I what I love about this is Sales actually takes the time to introduce us to the little girl who's very scared of the water. She doesn't want to go in the water. She doesn't want to take her swim test. Um, she she looks like powder in a wig. She is, by the way, Paul's daughter. Yes, but we don't know that at first. That's what's it's interesting is we're introduced to her, and she's. We're we're learning all about her fears, and then we find out that oh, that is in fact Paul's daughter. Uh, and then she does something because of that. Because Sales has done all this work, she gets a very heroic moment where she's literally hiding under canoes because she doesn't want to go in the water for the swim test. And then when all the shit hits the fan and these kids are dying, she takes it upon herself to get in a boat and go out in the water to save people, which is. Such a better moment because Sales took the time to really give us that like heartfelt, almost like John Hughes moment. Fear of the water. Fear yeah. of the water thing. So Yeah, no, it's really, it's really solid. It's really great. And then her dad shows up and we have the only scene in which they appear together. Their father, daughter, only scene they appear together. And there is such a black hole of chemistry in that connection. Like this girl looks terrified of Grogan. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. Just as she does not look like she looks really nervous to be in this scene with this guy like this actor is going to flip out at any moment. I'm going to say it. This is a this little girl is a character who is happy to be estranged from her alcoholic father. That is that is the vibe I got is like, oh, you're here. Great. Okay. This oh, happened again. Oh, dad's here and dad's not sober. Hey, hey, dad's dad. Dad's got his canteen. Dad, you see all these other kids here? Aren't you violating um, a court order? Because you are way less than 100 yards away from them. So why don't you go the fuck back to your cabin with the steep steps that you don't know how to go up and down and just say the fuck out of my life. That is a sales moment I wish that we had seen, but we unfortunately did not. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the rescuing the kid whose dad gets eaten. Uh, and it's just stranded on top of this canoe. And this is where we get to the weird, pointless sacrifice of Kevin McCarthy, which seems to be a moment of redemption for a character who didn't do anything requires wrong. Requires no redemption. Well, because he created this thing and worked for the government and made like the reason they created the piranha to begin with is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Like it's it was for the Vietnam War and they bred these piranha to be cold freshwater piranha to devour everything in the rivers to starve out the Viet Cong. That's really fucked up. Oh yeah. And uh, and he did it and he's like, well the government pays better than private 
Yeah, he's like, I don't have to scrounge for grants anymore. I can just do pure research, which from what we've seen, evidently is creating fishman pets to just walk around and hang out with him. I guess. I, I guess that was the bulk of his research. And then he's like, I'll also do this this freshwater piranha thing. Sidebar. Maybe I don't know anything about geography. Is the Amazon saltwater? Because they keep talking about how they they genetically altered these piranha to be able to survive in, in fresh water. But as far as I know, piranha come from or are, are most likely found in the Amazon River. And from my third grade earth science class, rivers aren't typically salt water. So, I mean, I maybe I need to crack a book or two, but I did not think the Amazon was salt water. But they keep harping on the fact that, no, no, we've genetically modified them so they can survive in freshwater now. And it's like, what were they doing before? Hey, Siri, is the Amazon River salt water? Here's what I found on the web for is the Amazon River salt water. It is not salt water because number four on the 10 things you might not have known about the Amazon River, the Amazon River supplies the earth with 20% of its fresh water supply. Thanks, Siri. Thanks, Siri. So what the fuck? What? So why did they have to genetically alter them to kill people in this river? I'm confused. I don't know. Or were, or were they, well, they needed to genetically alter them to begin with? For for example, uh, let's. Here's a little science for you. Um, yes, Mister Wizard. Piranhas don't eat people. Piranhas don't really eat flesh very often. If they're starved, they will eat whatever is available. Um, there's a famous story of uh, one of our presidents. Uh, going down uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. I was going to say, it has to be fucking Teddy I'm Roosevelt. I'm pretty certain it was Teddy Roosevelt was down the there. The Panama Jack of Presidents? Yes, it yeah. has to be. And so he goes down, and they show Piranha eating a live bull in the water. And, of course, that story went around, and, of course, the legend of what the Piranha was grew, and every kid knew that Piranha, you know, will fucking eat you up. Um, but in truth, in order to get them to do that, they had to starve them. And then they did that to, you know, to display what piranha could do. Um, but they generally don't. Like, piranha typically don't attack people. So to breed them the way they do in the movie, to eat everything and yeah. to be voraciously hungry and apparently eat more than their body weight um, uh, is is something that uh, uh, makes sense. Like, the fact that these are genetically altered piranha, not regular piranha, totally works for this movie. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, they're not typically, if you swim with piranha, the odds of getting attacked are, are super, super slim. Uh, that being said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tempt fate by getting a, a wild hair up my ass one day to go swim with piranha or, or piranha. Every time, by the way, every time you say piranha, I think of picanha, which is that Brazilian, uh, beef that is, like paper thin, and can we go? And every time you right say now? picanha, I think of uh, picanha quebleros, um, which is which are the Spanish quebler elves. Yes. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you remember that old commercial? Because they're made by picanha quebleros. I don't remember that old commercial. Wow. Uh, old man Cargill. Sorry. Uh, yeah. There was an old. You know. They. Yeah. There was an. Wait. Old. Is that serious? 
Yes. Oh, I was I was joking because that's what it sounded like. I thought there was a completely different explanation. Pequeno Kibleros is Kibler Elves. Yes. I. <laughs> yeah. No. I thought we were doing a bit. We're not doing a bit. There was a real commercial, <laughs> and the you know, and the end of the commercial because they're made by Pequeno Kibleros. This episode brought to you by Lone Star. Lone Star. It'll make you forget how words work. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Let's talk about one little interesting sidebar about this film that I'm fascinated by. Let's do it. Universal was suing (laughs) New World Pictures for ripping off Jaws, which, by the way, everybody fucking did. Yeah. Everybody fucking ripped off. There are so many Jaws knockoffs. It's not even funny. Uh, but they decided to sue this one, and uh, uh, and then Steven Spielberg saw the movie and loved it, and was like, "Yeah, no, we can totally like this is like." And the thing is, is it is a Jaws knockoff. It is very. They were saying that it was a parody of Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, now parody laws are a bit different. Sure, uh, but uh, uh, the uh, this is. Uh, this was the, its own thing, and Steven Spielberg loved it and was like, yeah, no, and Universal dropped the lawsuit. Well, not only did they drop the lawsuit, Spielberg called it the best of the Jaws ripoffs, and it's a big reason why he ends up working with Dante on the Twilight Zone movie. And he's wrong, because the best of the Jaws ripoffs is clearly... Um, raise a bake. Well, I would say raise a bick. Uh, no, I'd, I'd probably say the car, honestly. The, yeah, but, but at the time, the car was already out for a year, and the car yeah. is the best Jaws ripoff at the time. It's like... Dude, Steve, come on, the car, man. <laughs> the fucking car. And the the best unreleased Jaws ripoff, Grizzly Two. Grizzly Two, <laughs> which to this day, to this day, you will not find a group of cast off teenagers that exist only to get slaughtered in a movie as notable as that fucking three group of people. Yeah. This is why we love talking about Grizzly 2. For those of you that never is, uh, have not listened to our Grizz- uh, our episode where we talked about Grizzly 2, it, the three the three actors who are unknown teenagers backpacking to a rock music festival that get killed by an 18-foot-tall grizzly. Now, imagine, before, are, before you mention the names, imagine that these are the girl that get eaten at the beginning of Jaws. Yes. <laughs> this is your girl that gets eaten at the beginning of Jaws characters. They are played by George Clooney, Laura Dern, and fucking Tiger Blood himself, fucking... Uh, Charlie Char- Sheen. Charlie fucking Sheen. Uh, oh, my God. Dear Christ. And it's amazing. Uh, and Charlie Sheen has to wander off while George Clooney and Laura Dern make time together. But, well, he's wandering off because the two of them are about to have the We Both Won Oscars fucking club. Uh, and Charlie Sheen's like, gonna go look for some tiger blood as I'm the only non-Oscar winner in this group. <laughs> That's about to get mauled by an 18-foot-tall group. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they, they, Grizzly 2, because Grizzly is a Jaws knockoff, and Grizzly 2 is just its own thing. Yeah. It's just, would we consider Prophecy a Jaws knockoff? I, I would to a certain extent. And I also think that there is a certain amount of, no, no, no. Actually, I'm going to save that point because we're not at the end of this movie yet. We are now introduced to the character of Buck Gardner. Buck Gardner, played by the immortal Dick Miller, um, who is 
the mayor of Amity Island. But in this case, he's the proprietor of the amusement park of Aquamina Springs. And he is warned by uh, Paul Grogan that there are piranha on the way. But to Dick Miller's credit, Paul Grogan is an enormous alcoholic and a dick in this movie. So I don't actually blame the yeah. mayor of Amity Island in this case. They're, they're like... Everybody's very clear about, oh, yeah, Grogan, he's a drunk. Like, he's just... Did you hear he got gin and tequila and vodka and whiskey ordered to him? Who even drinks all that He doesn't even go into town for himself. He drinks like a fucking 15-year-old making suicides when his parents are out of town, so they won't notice that one individual bottle in the liquor cabinet has had a lot taken out of it. And did you see how badly he seared that fish? And did you see how poorly he navigated those stairs? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, of course nobody believes this guy. I wouldn't. That's all I'm saying. Um, but I love that he's this sort of – he's the proprietor of an amusement park who is cast as a used car salesman. He's like that level of shyster. Well, I mean, you got Dick Miller. You fucking use Dick Miller. Like yeah. that's And Dick Miller, the minute he come, he walks on to this movie, he fucking steals the show. It's like a totally different movie. It's like, what the fuck happened here? All of a sudden, <laughs> Dick Miller's here, and it's amazing. Boop, Dick Miller. I'm loving it. <laughs> Standing in for the man. Love these guys. <laughs> Did this episode better fucking have the tag at the yeah. beginning? Did we put the tag back? On? I will put the tag back. Hold on. Meryl, please put the Dick Miller tag back in so that people don't crucify us. Hi, this is Dick Miller. You're listening to Junk Food Cinema. Who were these guys? Yeah, no, that should fix it. Uh, yeah, no, he's amazing in this movie. And he is, like I said, the, the mayor of Amity Island who you don't hate because you're busy hating the heroes in this movie. Who are just assholes, but they, they really is there let's let's play find the redeeming quality. Is there a redeeming quality to either of these characters, these protagonists? She's a pretty good skip tracer. She, is she though? She breaks them out of jail by hitting a cop in the face. No, that's not I mean, granted, the cops were pretty awful. Ooh, I got it. Paul can hold his breath for just over a minute and a half. Uh, and could actually, like, it would actually be five minutes if they did the original version and counted to 300. It's just hilarious. He gets to that point and he's like, all right, I need you to count slowly to 100, then pull me up because that's all the lo- that's all as long as I can hold my breath. And I'm like, I can hold my breath for a minute and a half. Are you serious? Counting to 100? And then, by the way, he waits until the count of six to even jump into the water. So it's not even a full 100 count. It's like, oh, you must be a Navy SEAL, Paul, to hold your breath for a minute and a half. Woohoo! I'm super impressed. Why don't you go get another innocent person eaten, you jackass? And also get back on that brawny paper towel roll, you son of a bitch. Yeah, I, I can't. I'm losing this game, Cargill, because I cannot find I don't one think, redeeming I don't quality. think either character does anything in the movie. I mean, aside from the fact that like they're trying to save people's lives. Okay, I'll give you that. They're trying to save people's lives from the thing that they totally fucked up. So, speaking of fucking up, let's go back for a second to the kid on the canoe who is... Uh, they're paddling over to him as fast as they can. The piranhas are trying to tip him off. The, the canoe is sinking. Kevin McCarthy jumps in the water, swims to the kid, and then just holds onto the canoe while he's being eaten until they show up on the raft and just pull the kid. So they could he could have just stayed on the raft 
and the result would have been the same and he wouldn't have died. My theory is he took one look around at the company he was forced to keep and offed himself. I think it was a suicide move. I also think that at Chekhov's raft, <laughs> because they very clearly tell us that the, the raft can only hold three people. Right. Yeah, no, that's uh, true. That's true. And you know what? Chekhov's Raft is my favorite segment of Creepshow 2. So there is that. And so we get to this uh, this amusement park. Everybody it, By amusement park, it's really just a big beach. It's, it's a beach on the river. People are floating. Everybody's having a good time, drinking a shit ton of Lone Star. Uh, yeah, it's an amusement park. Yeah. and, uh, and Are then, you amused? <laughs> I am. Are you not entertained by this amount of Lone Star? And then the piranhas show up and start eating people. And man, this is just like, this is the carnage candy moment of the whole movie where there's so much, you know, blood effects going on and like so many rubber pieces of people that are getting gnawed on by rubber fish. It's really a rubber on rubber crime. And you just, you just watch all of this carnage and people are like scrambling to get out. And this is where we get the great line where Dick Miller's put upon assistant comes running up to him and it's like, Oh, you're not even going to say that word. But the piranhas. What about the piranhas? They're eating the guests, sir. They're uh, eating, eating the, the guests, guests, sir. Such an amazing line. What a great fucking line. I love that line John so Sales, you mastered. Jeez. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in fact, the guests are being eaten by piranha left and right. Uh, there's a moment where there is a, a bobbing corpse. And I don't know if you noticed this, but they, uh, they modeled that corpse after Rob Bottin. So it's really the rubber corpse of a 17-year-old Robotine in the water. There you go. Which is fucking rad. And my favorite part is that, you know, just after we get this uh, this colonel who's been completely, like, subtweeted in real life by this woman, like, oh, still? They get onto this pontoon that everyone starts, like, trying to climb up on to, to escape the water. And he gets shoved in and eaten. And it's it's so beautiful. It's, this This whole ending is just, like... I, I just look around like, um, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. <laughs> just like all of this mayhem. And it's so, it, it, the fact that they did it on a budget is even more impressive. Like it, it's, it's great. It's a great fucking climax to this movie. And then ends with the dun, dun, dun. Now let's, we, I, I've hinted at this earlier, but as if you couldn't hate these two people more. The protagonists of this movie figure out that the best way, the best way to deal with this piranha issue is to open a vowel of raw sewage, pollute the river, and thereby kill the piranha. That's great, except that your solution is to pollute an entire river. And you're just fine with that. In fact, Paul says, we're going to pollute the bastards to death. And I'm wondering, are we supposed to go, yay? Are we supposed to, like, get up and cheer? Like, yeah, he's going to pollute the whole river to kill the... Pr- I-, I feel like this is a bad idea. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't think you're very wrong. He pollutes the... That's the fucking solution that you came up with? It's like it's like the asshole who fishes with dynamite. I mean, it works. Yes, it works. <laughs> it works real well. It works, but if you listen... When he actually gets that valve open, there is this high-pitched squeal that I think was supposed to be the fish dying that just sounds like the river is screaming. Like, the river itself is dying. And it's like, oh, yeah, Roger Corman, uh, not not huge on, on conservation. Just, just fucking nuke the whole river. We already poured 
oil drums full of fake blood into this water. So yeah, sure. Let's let's have the ending just be a message about how pollution can save lives. Like this is a real pro pollution. This is the kind of movie that would make Captain Planet cry. And there aren't a lot of those, but this is definitely one of them. Yeah. And that's how they that's how they solve the problem. And that's and then we dun dun dun. They're not all dead, and they've gotten out to the ocean. And what leads us into the dun dun dun? Another crazy eyes from Barbara Steele. That is correct. And then this movie would be followed up by no less than four more Piranha movies. And we need to talk about Piranha Two: The Spawning, which was, of course, the first directorial very job briefly of one Jimmy Cameron. Uh, one very brief, like, worked for a week on that movie, Jimmy Cameron, <laughs> before getting fired for going over budget and over schedule uh, on a Corman film. <laughs> there aren't a lot of things that piss Roger Corman off. That's, that's the one. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we got Piranha to the Spawning, which is not worth watching. Like, it's no. it's uh, it, it's notable for its history. Um and nothing else. Then there's the '96 Piranha, which I thought was fun at the time. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check this movie out. I I only recently came across it just in my IMDb rabbit hole. But when I saw that Soleil Moon Fry and Mila Kunis were in a movie together, yeah. So let's let, let's do an old man Cargill here because this man Cargill, that old man Cargill. So that was actually part of. There was this very interesting run of time. In the 90s, when Showtime was being really experimental with stuff and they were playing around and they wanted to do their own, they they were playing around with making their own movies. And there are two different periods of what they did. And one was they gave budgets to a bunch of young indie directors to make 50s era nostalgia pieces. The most popular, the most well known of them, Robert Rodriguez made Road Racers. Um, and, uh, and it was just an interesting thing. The other thing was they went and remade a whole bunch of Roger Corman movies for, and this was all for Showtime. So this is how you saw it. So Piranha was one of those. And they also remade like Wasp Woman and, um, uh, a couple other, uh, of the notable crazy Corman films. Cause it was like a nostalgia thing. And, uh, and uh, Mila Kunis is in it. Nobody knew who was at the time. The biggest star in fucking Piranha 96. Believe it or not. Soleil Moon Fry. Oh, I thought you were going to say William Cat. I was setting you up. For- <laughs> oh, no, no. William Cat was in the movie. But do you know what? Do you know who Soleil Moon Fry is? Yeah, Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster. Yeah. So it's the movie where Punky Brewster was all grown up. And Punky Brewster um, had really grown up. Um and kind of famously grown up, yeah. So much so she got breast reduction surgery after yeah. the fact. Um, but so here's this girl that every you know '80s kid had a crush on, and who had grown up into this voluptuous, beautiful woman, and is running around in a bikini in Piranha. So of course, in the '90s, that was a movie that you went over to a buddy's house and watched, drinking some beer. Uh, and so that's the one. And then, of course, they would famously go and remake it as Piranha 3D. Which I actually really enjoy. I really like Piranha 3D as well. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's Aja, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, I was just talking about Aja the other day. We should probably do a Junk Food Masters episode on Aja. Aja is somebody who just doesn't get the respect he deserves. 
He is a guy who has pulled off the difficult task of effectively remaking not one, but two horror films. And adapting a Joe Hill movie that I think is great. Um, What's the Joe Hill movie? Uh, Horns. Oh, that's right. Yeah, of I course. Really like yeah, yeah, I like Horns as well. You know, the one with the, you know, where uh, Harry Potter grows fucking devil horns and and can, can control people. It's fucking crazy. I love it. It's bonkers. It is. It's great. Um, uh, and Aja just made all these films that every single one of them just kind of missed the mark. And um, but taken as a whole, I enjoy almost all of his films. And uh, uh, even Mirrors, which I don't think is a very Mirrors. good movie. <laughs> it's a very good movie. But then I was walking through my house after watching it, and I was fucking scared of the dark. And I'm like, I'm never fucking scared of the dark. Okay. It's effective. Right, movie. It's effective atmospherically for sure. And yeah, Aja, I, I, I will stand by both Piranha 3D and The Hills Have Eyes. Because oh, yeah. I think uh, The Hills Have Eyes for me the remake is one of the rare instances where the remake is better than the original. It is because the original's not that good. The original's garbage. Sorry, guys. Wes Craven's a legend. I, well, he, you know, RIP, uh, yeah, but, but Wes Craven, Wes Craven had more misses than hits. The yeah. thing is, is his hits are such legendary movies. Yes, we forgive things like Deadly Blessings. Yeah, and the original Last House on the Left, uh, for example. Yeah, but Last House on the Left is worth talking about it's yes. notable it's not good no, but it's, it's not notable good. it's got very bad tonal issues but you know when you go and then make nightmare on elm street yeah yeah that that forgives a lot for you sure you get let off the hook when you you make a serpent in the rainbow yeah true story you know when you have half a dozen films that are legendary horror movies we kind of forgive the 12 that really aren't by the way, also in that Piranha remake from the 90s, Leland Orzer, an oh. actor that we uh, probably will end up talking a lot about because he's in movies like The Guest, Alien Resurrection, The Taken movies, like uh, Saving Private Ryan. Like I could go on and on all day. This guy is is a character actor who you you recognize, but you don't know that you recognize, and he's fucking amazing. I love Leland he's, Orzer. He's like Dick Miller. He's that guy. Yes, he's he's a nouveau Dick Miller for sure. So he's that guy. Leland Orzer. Uh, so yeah, but then of course the final the final and probably maybe the worst of all of them, uh Piranha three double D. Yeah. I don't know if the spawning is worse than that or not. You know what? That's an experiment we don't need to do. We don't need to. You know what? That's an, uh, They can share the bottom spot together because I honestly think uh, Piranha 3D is actually a lot of fun. It It is a perfect companion piece for Piranha because unlike the 96 version, I think it's 96. 95, or, 96. 95 yeah. version of Piranha. Uh, it's not a remake. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're making Piranha, but we're making a 3D movie of Piranha. And we're just going nuts in a totally different way. And we're not borrowing any of the real elements. We're just making what you want out of a Piranha movie. And it fucking works. By the way, who plays the uh, the quote, the the uh, the girl from the beginning of Jaws at the beginning of Piranha? Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> Richard Dreyfus is the first kill of Piranha 3D. That, it was, in, in and of itself, is so brilliant. It, it really is a brilliant send-up. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it really works. So, yeah, so that's Piranha, guys. Pir that's Piranha as well. And I, I mean, it has to be. We, we don't even need to say it. The Junk Lone Star is Lone, Lone Star. Star is the Junk Food Parrot. Yeah. All right. Good. I was like, I was like, this hey, movie. And you're like, you, you were reading my mind. This movie brought to you by Lone, Lone Star. Star. 
There's only one beer in the universe that would dare give me the raspberry, Lone Star. <laughs> the kind of beer that you can drink instead of drinking a bottle of gin and a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of tequila and a bottle of vodka, as if you're completing the, the colors of Benetton of alcoholics. It's kind of insane how this guy drinks. You, you gotta, yeah. You definitely need to. You definitely need to kick back with a six six or a Lone Star and uh, Long Necks if you can. I agree. Uh, although, no, no, no. You know what? Tall boys. No, I yeah. You got it. I think you kind of got to do cans with this one. Yeah, you got to do cans. Like I like Long Necks, but you know when you go floating down on the Guadalupe. Yeah. You. Uh, that's the, that's one of the things. In fact, um, for the longest time, you could not could not um find uh a uh, uh, shiner bach in a can yeah uh unless you went to certain liquor stores along the guadalupe because they sold it in cans there so that you could drink shiner bach on the river because you can't take glass into the river so you take and and i don't think you can even take beer in there anymore i think that's like they they've like no no we're too much trash and too much garbage but you were allowed to take cans, so you'd hop in an inner tube. You'd uh, you'd get a cooler, either a floating cooler or throw a cooler in an in inner tube as well, and then you would sit on the Guadalupe for three hours, just kind of chilling in the water, floating down the Guadalupe, drinking you know beer from a can. So I think because of Aquarina Springs, I think you kind of got to do Lone Star in a can in this one. I agree, and and do do uh, what I. What I have dubbed the Salisbury Special, which is a oh, six-pack of Lone Star Tall Boys. Oh. That's what I show up with most of the time whenever there's a, a gathering. And I'm, I, I thought you were gonna, it was going to become like a quadruple boilermaker, like no. discussing this. No, no, no. Like, no. what is a quadruple boilermaker? I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but I actually had to talk someone out of actually doing a quadruple boilermaker because I don't want to get sued. I don't know what a quadruple boilermaker is supposed to be. Uh, okay, so... Is it one... Like, is it one beer and four shots, or is it four shots and four beers? I think it's four shots and a Lone Star Tall Boy. <laughs> I think that's what it is. All right. And this has been Piranha. Summer of 78 keeps rolling along, and I love that we did this as a double feature with Jaws 2, because I think those two are are very kindred spirits. You could also do this as a double feature with The Car, or a double feature with Piranha 3D, or a double feature with Grizzly 2. Why or, the hell not? Or Razorbeck. 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 Cargill, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me at Razorbeck. Uh You can also find me at Twitter, at Mass and Worm, M-A-S-S-A-W-Y-R-M, and on Instagram at Mass and Worm. Awesome. You can find this show at Junk Food Cinema on Twitter. You can find me at Bry Guy Salisbury. And again, if you really like the show... I mean really like the show. If you like the show more than we are currently not actually sponsored by Lone Star Beer, you can go to Patreon.com, and for as little as a dollar an episode, you get access to bonus content that nobody else gets to hear, and we really do appreciate you guys. I and, can't even tell you. And guys, this this week, if you were ever thinking about doing it, this is the week to do it. I'm serious. We are covering a deep dish item that I pulled out of my ass and dusted off after 30 years and melted Brian's brain with it's an hour of listening to Brian's brain melt out of his ears. It is probably some of the most fun we've had in a while. So if you uh, have ever thought about being a patron, maybe now's the time to try it out. I'm going to make the argument that maybe this one should have stayed up your ass. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs>
Grand Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.